If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 143 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the 12th day in June of the year 2022. We are basically in the middle of freaking June already, dude. <laughs> it's just, it's incredible how quickly it goes. I, this season legit feels like it started two minutes ago. It doesn't matter that it's 162 games. Every year, it still feels like it flashes right by. Ugh, such as life, right? Such as life. But even today... After today's game, can you believe this? They've they've now officially played 60 games already. 60! That's insane. I literally feel like the season just started and we just all got over the outrageous battle between the owners and the Players Association over the winter. It's insane. And now they've played 60 games already as of today. After today's game here on Sunday against the Cubs. And as I'm recording right now, the game literally just ended, by the way, and what a game it was. Holy crap. (laughs) 18 damn runs. 18. Seven of them from Matt Carpenter, who, by the way, by the way, wasn't even in the original lineup this morning. The Yankees changed the lineup like twice, I think. First, they took Trevino out and put Higashioka in for him because apparently Trevino has a little bit of back pain, which they aren't concerned about, just giving him today to rest and the off day tomorrow to rest. And Glaber Torres also got scratched because apparently his stomach was bothering him really badly. He's not feeling good. So nothing really major from those two. But the Yankees changed the lineup like twice today heading into the game. They put Mac Carpenter in as a late substitution with the Trevino and Torres scratches. And... Matt Carpenter drives in seven freaking runs today, just casually. It's it's really crazy, by the way, before we continue on. I really think the Yankees got the old Matt Carpenter. You know, the one from like 2016, 17, even 18, and even prior to that. The really amazing fielding and hitting left-handed hitter Matt Carpenter from back in the day with the Cardinals. I think they got him. And the craziest part is that they got him for virtually nothing. I tweeted that right after his first home run in today's game as well. They got this guy for virtually nothing. Just want to remind you of that. And I think they got the old version of him back. (laughs) It's just, it's another amazing pickup. Just an acquisition that leaves you speechless. The guy drove in seven runs today. (laughs) Wasn't even in the original lineup. Uh, anyway, guys, I do hope you're doing well. I just had a crazy freaking week. I don't know about you, but I had a big event at work that had me working a long-ass day on Thursday. 
pretty busy Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, too, just to go along with the usual busyness of my job. Yesterday, I was out most of the day and then went to my amazing girlfriend, Victoria's dance recital, who I know is listening to this show. Love you, babe. You did a fantastic job, as always. And amidst all that yesterday, I even forgot to post a social media segment amidst all that. <laughs> so I literally just posted a Q&A this morning. Just this morning here on Sunday. <laughs> Most of you know I usually post the social media segments on Saturdays. But it was just, it was too hectic yesterday and I literally just forgot. What can I tell you? <laughs> I blasted it out on Twitter as much as possible this morning. And I still got a good amount of questions despite it being so last minute. Which only further proves how awesome you all continue to be every week. So I'll read at least like 10 of them later on. Depends on how we're doing on time. But in case you can't tell... It's been kind of busy for a while now. (laughs) But you know, it was also pretty wild this past week other than my life. I mean, even though they still won for the most part. But this past week of Yankees baseball. I mean, have you watched this past week? (laughs) How about the Twins series? You got the Twins series in Minnesota. Or the first game of this Cubs series. Or the last game of this Cubs series that just wrapped up today. Literally just like five to ten minutes ago from before I started recording right here right now. It's like just past five o'clock here on Sunday at the time I'm taping. It's been nuts. I mean, we've been talking about how the rotation's been in God mode for months now. That was the main subject of last week's episode. So we've been talking about that and actually seeing them actually having struggled a bit in Minnesota. Despite them having still taken the series, the Yankees, but... How did they still manage to take that series, you might ask, if the rotation struggled quite a bit? Well, they managed to take the series as a part of what we've also spoken so much about. The fact that the Yankees just find ways to win, no matter what. Almost never giving in. One part of the team struggles on a given day? Well, more often than not, another facet of it will have their backs. And this time... The offense had the rotations backs, at least in Minnesota they did. As they deserve. Because the rotation, like I've been saying, has been in God mode the entire year. They deserve to be covered. So, when the occasion does come, and it will because they're still humans, as easy as it is to forget about that sometimes, but nonetheless, when that struggling occasion does come around that the pitchers do have a tough time, again, they deserve some backup. And that's what the offense did for them in Minnesota. And how about the Cubs series? This series has also been crazy. (laughs) I mean, the pitching seems to have made a comeback, the starting pitching. And other than on Friday's torturous drag-out game, which we will talk about later, which the Yankees still fortunately did win, the offense (laughs) has definitely continued to also get the job done. To put it very mildly. (laughs) Especially after today's game, like I mentioned before, with their 18 runs scored. And all of them still being led, by the way, by Aaron Judge. Who, again, seems to be on a mission to hit 50,000 home runs this year. He's now up to 24 as he headed into today's final game against the Cubbies. And he's still at 24. I mean, do you remember in the offseason 
when I predicted 45-plus home runs for him, I think I did. I think I predicted 45-plus for him and 40-plus for Stanton. But 45-plus for Judge, looking back on that, I'm like, yeah, that's cute. Real cute. (laughs) I mean, who knows what will happen in the second half with him, but right now, I mean, even 45-plus home run predictions like mine are just looking awfully light right about now. Looking to be real, like a legitimate understatement. The understatement of the century. My goodness. I mean, good lord. And the MVP chance for him, every time he comes up, they just get louder and louder and louder. And they've even happened on the road. And you know what? He is the lead MVP candidate right now, no matter how you spin it. So you know what? He deserves it. <laughs> Making a real case. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Talk about successfully betting on yourself, huh? I mean, this has got to be the definition of it so far. But despite all that craziness, we'll recap all of it. All of this past week's action in just a few minutes when we get to weekly recap. But when it comes to just analyzing the Yankees overall, you could give this stat, you could give that stat, and they've all been given by me, by everybody else who produces content, by the main Yankee broadcasters. You could give this and that all you want, but I think it's just safe to say that at this point, I think we're all just running out of words, out of ways to describe how remarkable this team has been. I know I am. It's just absurd. As this continues to be one of just the best starts to a season in franchise history or any franchise we've seen and they've had plenty of those the Yankees being great starts they've had plenty and I mean after today 44 and 16 we're barely into the middle of June and they're almost 30 games over 500 30 after officially sweeping the Cubs this weekend now another thing that they do by the way that they couldn't do last year Sweeping teams. They've been sweeping teams this year like there's no tomorrow. I mean, you just look at them. Best team in baseball. Judge shooting for the MVP award. Top of the line rotation, top to bottom. Top of the line bullpen despite occasional struggles. And injuries, by the way. A lot of people may forget. Chapman out. Britton been out since last year. Chad Green done for the year. Loisaga being out. And Loisaga and Chapman sound really close to coming back, by the way. I'm especially excited for my boy Loisaga, apparently starting a throwing program tomorrow. And despite the doubts of others, I still believe in my boy to bounce back. But even through the bullpen struggles, they've been really good still. The offense is relentless. They have their nights every now and again, like Friday night. But, I mean, what are you going to do? They can't score 10 runs every single friggin' night. But they're relentless overall. Yet again today, again with the 18 runs. Leading the sport big time in home runs. On the verge of getting 100 already. Just 100. And I believe the team behind them, second in the sport for home runs, is like nearly 20 behind them. So like I said, leading the sport big time in home runs. Not just leading. Like destroying. And home runs aside, just driving in a crap ton of runs overall, even now passing the Dodgers for the best run differential in the sport, 
I mean, that's what happens when you allow as little of an amount of runs as Yankee pitching does, both bullpen and rotation-wise, and when you score as much as the Yankee offense does, their run differential is well over 100 now. And after today's game, probably around like 120 or something like that. And speaking of today's high-scoring game, today's 18-run game, by the way, is also the 10th time this year that they've scored 10 or more runs in a game. Oh, and also, if you want to look at it from a divisional standpoint, if you want to look at the AL East, (laughs) they have nearly a double-digit first-place lead in the East over Toronto and Tampa, who are only about a half a game away from each other. But the Yankees are almost double digits ahead of them both. And no matter how much they, or even the Red Sox, win in a certain window of time, I believe they even said in the Red Sox last 31 games, they've gone 21-10. and 10. I believe Michael K. mentioned that on today's broadcast. Do you want to know how many games they've gained on the Yankees amidst that streak? Or that window of time? None. They've actually lost two. Can you imagine that? That was the kind of place it felt like the Yankees were in last year. No matter how many times they managed to actually go on a good winning streak. And they won 13 in a row last August when I was in Italy doing an episode from Italy on Yapping Yankees. They were winning like crazy. It was one of their hot streaks. Felt like they couldn't really gain much ground at all on Tampa. Now the shoe's on the other foot. No matter how much winning they do, it's like they gain nothing or they even lose a couple of games because the Yankees are just out of their minds. Just on those days where they could actually happen to gain some games, the Yankees just keep winning on those particular days. And on the days where the Yankees happen to lose, it seems like the other teams just happen to lose. So they just can't gain ground on the Yankees. As they continue to win, so do the Yankees. And on the rare occasion this year the Yankees happen to lose, it seems like they lose as well, the other teams. Just nothing happens for them at all. (laughs) It's crazy. And now they have almost a double-digit first-place lead. Or if you want to analyze how they are as a group, I mean, the mindset is top-notch. So again, no matter what you hit on with this team, and I've hit on every possible thing for over two months now, just as every other Yankees content creator has, just as every Yankee broadcaster has, I mean, what can you even say anymore? That hasn't already been said. It's crazy. And it couldn't be more fun. It just couldn't be. It's been a very long time since I've had this much fun, let alone with any of my sports teams, but especially with the Yankees. There have been fun times since they won the World Series in 09, but not quite like this. Not quite like this. So anyway, we'll recap (laughs) what obviously continues to be just terrific Yankees baseball continuing into this past week. We've got the Q&A later on, which I'm looking really forward to. As always, I love answering your Yankee questions. It's going to be a fun show today. It's already off to a fun start. I mean, what else is new? After today, you'll have had 143 episodes of straight fire, my friends. 
But before we truly get into the episode, though, for today, quick, quick announcement just for you guys real fast. Next Sunday, as another addition, another part of my quote-unquote taking off during most Sunday holidays this year, is obviously Father's Day. Big-time holiday, of course. It doesn't even need to be said. (laughs) So, no episode next Sunday, guys. I'm going to be spending the day with the father and getting some much-needed relaxation. You understand? (laughs) So, no episode next Sunday. I'll be back at you on the 26th, June 26th. And at that point, upon thinking about it now, we'll already nearly be in freaking July. For the love of everything holy. (laughs) How is it already almost July at that point? By the time I talk to you again next, holy crap, bro. (laughs) Alright. Before we start contemplating our mortality here on Yapping Yankees, why don't we get on to the weekly recap segment and talk about this past week, this wild past week of Yankees baseball. Yapping Yankees time machine back to last Sunday. Let's do it. Okay, so last Sunday, obviously that was the day where they swept the Tigers. I honestly can't even remember if we went over that one when I finished last weekend's episode, but just in case I didn't, Donaldson then ended up walking that one off, so the Yankees won 5-4, to four and did complete the sweep of the Tigers. I, again, I don't even remember if I actually ended up recapping that one. I'm pretty sure I recorded last weekend's episode after that one ended, so I think I did. So... Last Monday ended up being an off day, so they would go to Minnesota on Tuesday. And this was the first game of all three in which, as I mentioned before, the starting pitching for the first time really this year, (laughs) for the most part, as we head into the middle of June, this was really the first series where all three pitchers in this three-game set in the starting rotation for the Yankees actually had a pretty difficult time. And not that this was like an all-out brutal implosion for Jameson Tyone, who pitched the first of this series, but definitely not himself the way he's been all of this year. He only went four innings, gave up nine hits and four runs, one walk and only three strikeouts. So definitely not amongst the other fantastic Tyone starts throughout the season so far, but also not a complete and utter disaster. Especially because the Yankees opened up the scoring first, and the offense just never gave in throughout this game. It just felt like they kept on hitting back and forth and back and forth, especially in the middle part of the game in the fourth and fifth innings. Um, Fortunately, after that, the bullpen kept things down as they have. The bullpen has, again, in the last week or two, really stepped back up. Again, despite everything they've gone through from struggles and injuries prior, they've picked it up. Licky after Tyone, these are all the guys who carried it through to the end. Licky went an inning and two-thirds scoreless. Wande Peralta went an inning and a third scoreless. And then Ron Marinaccio by the end of the game, which the Yankees did have a big lead by the end, as they would win 10-4 in the night. But he even went a scoreless two innings to end the game. And Marinaccio's been better lately. So since he got called back up, he has been better. But again, the Yankee offense, they started up right away. But as Tyone allowed them to creep back into the game little by little, They had to keep on hitting back so that the Twins never really fully caught up. But again, it was a lot of back-and-forth action. But it started off with Judge hitting a two-run shot in the top of the first, driving home DJ LeMahieu. It was his 22nd home run on the year. Gave the Yankees a 2-0 lead. 
immediately followed, almost immediately, by Giancarlo Stanton, who hit his 12th home run of the year, a solo shot to make it 3 to nothing. So really, more or less fresh off the injured list, like we were talking about last week when he had just come back off of it. He is now already making his impact heard, and this was a bomb, and I mean, he has since hit even more lasers. I mean, the one yesterday, last night, <laughs> 120 miles an hour off the friggin' bat. Oh, God almighty. So at the time, he gave him the 3-0 lead, and then in the bottom of the first, Tyone gave up a sack fly to Max Kepler to make it 3-1 to one Yankees. Bottom of the third, an RBI double for Jorge Polanco to make it 3-2 to two Yankees. So again, twins creeping up a little bit. Now you'll start to see some of that back and forth. Top of the fourth, Judge comes through again. RBI single to make it 4-2. to two. Bottom of the fourth, Palacios comes through with a sack fly for the twins to make it 4-3. to three. Top of the fifth, DJ LeMahieu with the bases loaded walk to make it 5-3. to three. Bottom of the fifth, Jorge Polanco, home run. Five to four. So you see back and forth. It's like every time the Yankees scored, the Twins scored. But the Twins were never able to tie it up, though. So the Yankees just stayed a little bit ahead of them. A lot of back and forth. By now, Tyone's out of the game. Again, didn't have the best start. But not only again would the bullpen hold it down, but the Yankee offense would continue to add. And after that Polanco home run, that, that was the last run that the Twins scored on the night. So the Yankees offense... Kicking ass after that, and then the bullpen holding them down led to what actually turned out to be a big victory after a lot of the game, mostly the first half of the game, was actually really close and a lot of solid back and forth. Top of the seventh, Anthony Rizzo for the first time in a while because, again, for a great deal of the last month or month and a half, he has been struggling quite a bit, but he's hit his home runs again recently here and there. Top of the seventh here, three-run Bomb to right field, right center field, drove home DJ LeMahieu and Aaron Judge to make it 8-4. to four. Top of the eighth, King Trevino, my catcher, would continue his impact, and that would definitely not be all for the week, as we know. But he would get an RBI single in the top of the eighth, driving home Hicks to make it 9-4. to four. Joey Gallo, who this past week has been heating up again, and listen, I've said it, I may have spoken about how much Aaron Hicks and Joey Gallo have driven me nuts this year, and rightfully so, as they have driven most insane because their gameplay has been horrendous. But that, again, does not mean I don't want them to succeed as long as they're on my team because I want my team to win. <laughs> so, of course, regardless of how hard I've been on them, I just want to keep saying this so people don't get on me, regardless of how insane they've driven me, I'm not going to be upset when they finally freaking contribute. So yeah, I was glad to see this and the further contributing that Joey Gallo would have all the way up to today because he even did some stuff today. He just had himself a pretty decent week, finally. So he hit an RBI single here to drive in the 10th and final run for the Yankees that night. Another 10-run game, like I said in the intro before. This game and then today's game to finish off the series against the Cubs when they scored 18 runs. These are two of a total of 10 games in which they have scored 10-plus runs. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> so 10-4 to 4 would be the score after that, and that would end up being the final. Wednesday, first loss in quite some time. Can't win them all. That's why after this loss, I wasn't upset. And you know what? Since this loss, guess what? They, again, haven't lost since. <laughs> so you can't win them all. But unfortunately, right from the get-go, you just kind of felt that this night just wasn't the Yankees' night. 
And that's the case with a lot of the time with some teams, even the most perfect teams out there. There's no perfect team, but the most perfect ones, the closest ones to perfect, they're still going to have their nights like this. It just didn't feel like their night because it was a combination of both the starting pitcher struggling and the offense being dead. On top of that, the bullpen also wasn't too great. So it just, it wasn't their night. It wasn't. They only scored one run the whole night on a sacrifice fly in the top of the fifth by DJ LeMahieu. Otherwise, really just was not their night. And shockingly, it was with Nestor Cortez in the mound, who again, like Tyone, didn't necessarily have a disastrous start. It was partially also because the offense was so dead. So it felt like a, a little lead was a huge lead for the other team when it really wasn't. But it just was a very unusual night. <laughs> Really, really unusual. I mean, you forget with how amazing Nestor's been that he is still human and he's going to have his clunkers every now and again. I mean, he's a human being. (laughs) He's not going to go out there and pitch seven shutout innings or nearly have a no-hit or a perfect game towards the end of the game every start. That's just not possible. (laughs) And fun fact, with them only scoring one run, Wednesday night's game was the first time this year that the Yankees lost a game by more than five runs. Of course, the final would end up being 8-1. to one. This was the first game all season, as we're nearly in the middle of June, again, that they have lost a game by more than five runs. So again, just another thing to add on to the fact that this was just an unusual night. Nestor Cortez struggling, four and a third innings, seven hits given up, four runs, just three strikeouts, Raised his ERA to, oh, just an ungodly 196. So terrible. (laughs) Even after a clunker, his ERA is still in the ones. (laughs) It's just amazing. So even on a night where he struggled, the bullpen had a tough time after him. Clark Schmidt in particular, who went an inning in two-thirds and allowed four runs. But even he's been terrific, so it's tough to be mad at him. He's especially an extra innings masterclass, which I'll remind you about in a future game this past week shortly when it comes to Friday's game against the Cubs. But anyways, just an unusual night. So in the bottom of the fourth, scoring would get started by then. Nestor didn't have his best stuff right out of the gate, but he didn't even allow any scoring until this. Gio Urshela... Got an RBI single to open up the scoring for the Twins. And yes, the Yankees did see Gio and Gary again this series. Gary did nothing but have a couple of crucial passed balls maybe and just have shaky defense behind the plate and really did nothing at the plate hitting-wise. So it's just really... Listen, I don't mean to bash on guys, especially after they have since left the team or been traded from the team, and Gary was traded, of course. But it's so nice to have seen those issues taking place and not having it be a Yankee problem anymore. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just have to say it. It really is nice. We Yankee fans had to endure a lot of crap with Gary Sanchez, and it wasn't all bad. When he went on his hot streaks, there was almost no one hotter. But when he was cold and his overall defense behind the plate, it was just a lot of years of pain. (laughs) really was. So to know that it's not our problem anymore as Yankee fans or as the Yankees themselves, it's not their problem anymore, it's nice. Sorry if that's rude, but it's it's just how I feel. But anyways, they did see Gio and Gary again, and Gio doing any sort of damage against the Yankees did end up hurting even more than I was already prepared for it to. <laughs> but he got an RBI single to open things up. Jose Miranda would get an RBI single himself right after to make it 2 to nothing. 
After that, in the top of the fifth, that's when DJ got his sacrifice fly and drew it a little closer 2-1. to one. Game was still, of course, well within reach at this point. But then the bottom of the fifth, this was when the Twins started to pull away a little bit, and this was really towards the end of Nestor's start. This was it for him. Ryan Jeffers got a solo shot. Byron Buxton hit a solo shot. So it was 4-1 to one at that point. And the Twins kept on adding on, the remainder being on Clark Schmidt. Max Kepler drove in Gio Rochelle on a ground out. Trevor Larnack hit an RBI double. And then in the bottom of the seventh, Jose Miranda again, two-run single to make it 8-1. to one. And that was the final that the Yankees lost by one of frighteningly few games in which it just was not the Yankees' night overall. And you just really felt like they were going to lose for sure. Again, not very common this year, so it's tough to be mad. Thursday night's game, rubber game matchup. And like I said, I had a big event at work for Thursday, so I missed most of this game. I missed most of the Ranger game, which, oh, by the way, I'm in so much pain about that series. But story for another time. Just follow me on social media for that. I'm not going to waste time on a Yankees podcast talking about the Rangers. But anyways, I the point of the, what I was just trying to say was that the big event at work had me miss most of the Rangers game as well as this Yankee game. But I was keeping track of it scoring-wise, and I did still watch most of the back end of it. But whether I watched it or didn't watch it, this game was nuts. <laughs> The Yankees had an unbelievable comeback, which ended up being the very big, positive, and fun final note of the game. But things started off in very, very ugly fashion. And you wouldn't think so, because who was on the mound for the Yankees that night? It was Garrett Cole. (laughs) So while they did win, it was not in any way that you would think... (laughs) And coming into the game, of course, you think, rubber game matchup in Minnesota. The Yankees manhandle the Twins. Garrett Cole's on the mound. And the offense might have had a rough night before. But maybe you say, eh, you know, the offense may be off again. But even if they are off again, they got Garrett Cole on the mound. And even if Garrett Cole's a bit of a tough time, I'm sure the offense will at least put some runs up. But either way, you're not really saying that Cole is going to have that rough a time, right? Because he's on the mound. You just assume he's going to do good. Some people still doubt him going back to the wild card game because they say, oh, he proved himself to be pretty unreliable back then, and he had a few clunkers to start the season in 2022, but you certainly don't expect anything like what we actually got in this game. (laughs) So either way, you just expect Garrett to have at least a respectable start, especially against the Twins on the road. They do hit well every now and again, but it's still Garrett Cole. And after all, he's coming off a start where he took a perfect game into the seventh inning, isn't he? (laughs) It is not how it went. I mean, you couldn't get more opposite from his prior start. (laughs) Garrett went two and a third, gave up eight hits, seven runs, two walks, and only struck out three. And all seven of those runs came on home runs. Five home runs, to be exact. Five! And three of them were in a row to start the bottom of the first right away. The game started off on a pretty decent note. Josh Donaldson put the Yankees up one to nothing in the top of the first and a sacrifice fly driving home Judge. But then, the bottom of the first. Luis Arise led off the game with a home run. Byron Buxton, home run right after him, his 14th. And then Carlos Correa, right after him with a solo shot himself. So to start the game without getting an out, Garrett Cole gave up three home runs 
in a row. <laughs> Top of the second, fortunately, the Yankee offense started showing right away that they were going to have Garrett's back. Because Joey Gallo, again, another note on what was a very good past week for him. Game-tying two-run shot. At this point, it's 3-3. Three to three. I'm keeping track of the score at work. I'm like, wow, this is looking like a pretty wild game already. Well, it wouldn't end there. Bottom of the second, Garrett Cole came right back out. You think he'd bounce back? Nope. Three-run shot to Byron Buxton. So another home run for Buxton. That put the Twins up 6-3. to three. Bottom of the third, Trevor Larnack came up, solo shot of his own, 7-3 Twins at this point. So the Twins are starting to pull away a bit, Garrett's given up seven runs, and he gave up even more hits, and they just had to take him out, he was was a disaster, he had nothing, he had absolutely nothing working, hanging breaking balls right down the heart of the plate, fastball not getting anybody, breaking balls, oh my god, off-speed pitches just being left right there. And the Twins took advantage. Boy, did they take advantage. So at this point, you're like, oh my god, this isn't good. They might lose a series to the Twins for the first time in god knows how long. And with Garrett Cole on the mound in the rubber game matchup too, what's the likeliness of that happening? But in the top of the fifth, the Yankee offense again started showing signs of life. This is also partially what I was talking about in the intro and what I've spoken about for so many weeks now when I say the Yankees keep finding ways to win. And when one facet of the team seems to be failing one night, another facet of the team has their back. This is the definition of what Thursday night was. In the top of the fifth, Joey Gallo, another home run up bomb, a solo shot, his eighth of the year, that made it 7-4 twins, and then DJ hit a home run himself to dead center field, made it 7-5 twins, so now it's getting a little closer, and then in the top of the sixth, this (laughs) capped off something, I'm not sure it's happened at all this year until now, but the two players I get on the most, who are they? Joey Gallo, and again, rightfully so. It's not because I'm a hater or I just have a personal problem with them. I've judged them validly on their performances in 2022. But who were the two guys that came through that I'm also the hardest on? Joey Gallo and Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks in the top of the sixth. Two-run Adam bomb to right field. Not so sure he's earned the right to flip the bat like he did, but hey, nonetheless, he pimped it, and it was a bomb. (laughs) That tied the game at seven. Big home run. Big spot. I'll give it to him. And good for him. Like I said, I'm never going to be unhappy that these guys contribute. (laughs) They're playing for the freaking Yankees. Doesn't matter who you are. If you're as dreadful as them, I'm going to get on you a little bit, like you probably deserve, and like you probably do enough to yourself already. But I'm sure going to tell my opinion about it. I'm not shy about my opinions, but I'm also going to be hella happy when you come through. (laughs) So that tied the game at seven, and at this point, you're like, okay, this is actually insane. (laughs) So going to the seventh inning now, the Yankee bullpen is in, and again, them locking things down really helped things yet again. Litke with another two and a third scoreless innings. He's been bouncing back again lately, which is, which is good to see because I was really having trouble trusting him up until about a week or two ago. 
Miguel Castro, an inning and a third scoreless himself. Wandy Peralta, an inning scoreless. Michael King, a scoreless inning. And then, of course, ultimately at the end, when the score was 10-7, to which we'll get to momentarily, Clay Holmes would close it out and earn his ninth save, driving his ERA down to point thirty three. But it was 7-7 to as they head into the seventh inning. A lot of sevens. And just when you were praying that after all of this coming back, this unbelievable comeback by the Yankees, that they would not lose the game, well, they would not disappoint. And at this point, I was definitely watching, and I was going nuts. Anthony Rizzo, go-ahead RBI single in the top of the seventh. Aaron Hicks, an RBI single himself, so contributing again to make it 9-7. to And then a wild pitch right after that by the Twins allowed Anthony Rizzo to come home and score. He was on base from his single. That made it 10-7, to and that would be the final to close out what was a very interesting, very hectic series against the Twins in Minnesota. A lot of fun, but... Especially surprising, given the starting rotation. And the offense being how resilient they are. Not really much of a surprise in that sense. That just added to how fun it was. But (laughs) definitely the surprising part was the starting rotation. But hey, like I said, they're not going to go out there a million times and be perfect a million times. They're still human beings. And when they do go out there and struggle every now and again, which they will, because again, they're humans, no matter how easy they make it to forget that. (laughs) But... They deserve to have backup when they do struggle because they've been that good and they've earned that right. So the Yankees still left there taking the series. I'm okay with it. You're not going to win every single game, whatever. They would return home next to start the three-game set that just wrapped up today at Yankee Stadium against the Chicago Cubs, who are definitely having themselves a very tough year as they are definitely in transition. And this game, I mentioned it before, was torturous. It was a drag-out effort. Luis Severino started the game, had a terrific start going six innings. Did allow seven hits, but only one run on a solo shot to Jason Hayward, of all people. And he did strike out ten people. And let me tell you something. I gave Luis Severino his praise last episode and throughout the entire earlier part of the year this year. I've given him plenty of praise. But I also have to add the fact that... I don't know how many innings they're going to have him throw this year. Probably limit him around 150, which is typically what they do with people returning from long-time injuries, especially given the fact that Seve hasn't started a game since 2019. (laughs) So probably like 150-ish innings, if I had to guess. But if he keeps this up, I mean, even if he does go about 150 innings, he's been striking out a lot of people. And I tweeted this on Friday night. If he keeps these strikeouts up, even if he goes 150-ish innings, he could really creep towards 200 strikeouts on the year, which he has done before, but that was in a full season in 2018. He could very well do it again. (laughs) And that'd be pretty crazy, having anywhere near 200 strikeouts in that case, if if he maybe had like 150, 160 innings pitched. That would be awesome. But it is certainly not out of the realm of possibility because he is doing that well this year. Striking out a crap ton of guys. Another 10 this game. And the bullpen afterwards. The bullpen was stellar. Miguel Castro, inning scoreless. Michael King, inning scoreless. Clay Holmes, inning scoreless in the ninth. Into extras. Of course, this game 
went 13 innings. The only run scored in the game was in the bottom of the fourth. Glaber Torres hit a solo shot to make it 1-0. And at the top of the fifth, right away to answer right back, Jason Hayward hit his solo shot off Seve, and it stayed 1-1 all the way to the 13th inning. But all those bullpen names I just told you about held it down. Clark Schmidt in the 10th and 11th innings just continued. He did this again in extra innings. I believe it was against the Orioles. You'll have to excuse me. It's off the top of my head. And it was at Yankee Stadium. I believe it was the Orioles. But regardless, this guy, Clark Schmidt, has turned into a long-relieving, especially extra-inning masterclass. This guy, more often than not, would not even allow the fake runner to score. In all of his extra inning appearances, he's been that good. And this night was no different. Friday night. He only allowed one walk, but otherwise, two scoreless innings. Not even the fake runner scored. Wandy Peralta pitched the 12th. Scoreless inning. Fantastic job by him. Marinaccio would pitch the final inning pitched for Yankee pitchers in the 13th and eventually get the win since they won in the bottom of the 13th. But even he pitched a scoreless 13th and did not allow that fake runner to score. And throughout extra innings, just like the Cubs were having trouble scoring off Yankees pitching, the Yankees could not score if their lives depended on it. It was torture. It was dragging out. They couldn't score. Nobody was scoring. This game went 13 innings, even with that stupid freaking runner on second rule. All until my guy, who I don't know why they didn't pinch hit for him earlier on in the game, when Higashioka would come up. I was saying, where's my boy Trevino? Why aren't they pinch hitting him? He'll walk this thing off. I was literally even tweeting that. (laughs) So you know I'm not BSing you. I just believe in my boy that much. You guys know I've been a hard supporter of his since the trade. I like the guy. I just do. I really like him. And he's had a lot of magical moments already here with the Yankees, and he's been a big part of the spirit of this team, no matter how you spin it. But they finally did pinch hit for him in the bottom of the 13th, and what does my guy do? He lines a single into left field, driving home Joey Gallo, who was the fake runner, and the Yankees won an incredible, torturous and life-sucking game, but still epic, given the nature of how it ended. But unbelievable game to start the series against the Cubs, a 13-inning victory. They were the last ones to have the last laugh. Ultimately, Jose Trevino, another incredible moment for him coming off the bench and ending the game when no one else could. And the Yankees won 2-1. to one. So a great start by Seve, a great effort by the bullpen, and the offense, no matter how crazy they drove us, my boy Trevino came in, my catcher, and was the hero, and he was able to push the Yankees just ahead of the Cubs enough to get the victory. And yesterday in today's games, well, I'll breeze right through these because they were as comfortable as it gets. Jordan Montgomery started the game yesterday. He went seven shutout innings. A great start by him driving his ERA down to 270 now as the Montgomery haters out there just run out of reasons. They continue to run out of reasons to hate on this guy. And I call them haters because while I'm tough on Hicks and Gallo, 
That criticism is valid. There's no valid criticism of Jordan Montgomery. Maybe sometimes he doesn't go as deep into starts. The guy's not an ace. But let me tell you something. He's a solid middle-of-the-rotation guy and pitches as such. And he has pitched a great year. His ERA is 270. So what if he has a short start every now and again? Every starter does. Who cares? <laughs> that's just being irrationally hard on him. And that's why I call them haters. As opposed to me, who's tough, validly, on Aaron Hicks and Joey Gallo. I have reason to be doing that. They don't have reason to be hard on Jordan Montgomery. So, anyways, seven shutout innings for him again. Marinaccio would throw a shutout inning in the eighth, and Licky in the ninth. But again, by that point, the Yankees had a monstrous lead. The offense was relentless. Yesterday was a solo home runs galore. Aaron Judge, solo shot in the bottom of the first. Home run number 23. John Carlos Stanton, solo shot in the bottom of the fourth. This is the 120 mile per hour laser I was telling you about before. That put the Yankees up two to nothing. Glaber Torres, right after him in the same inning, solo shot his 12th of the year. Stanton, that was his 13th. Glaber's up to 12 now. Three more than his entire total in 2021. <laughs> He's up to 12 now. Three to nothing, Yankees. Bottom of the fifth, you thought my catcher was done after Friday's walk-off? Nah. Solo shot in the bottom of the fifth, his fifth of the year, a lot of fives. Jose Trevino gave the Yankees a 4 to nothing lead. Aaron Judge, second home run of the night, another solo shot, his 24th on the year. Made it 5 to nothing. Anthony Rizzo right after him in that same inning in the bottom of the fifth. So three solo shots in this inning alone. Solo shot of his own. 15th home run of the year for him, made it 6 to nothing, And then after this, no more home runs, but the Yankees weren't done yet overall. Bottom of the 6th, IKF, RBI single, 7 nothing, And then Aaron Judge, a sack fly, adding on to what he had already done last night after his two home runs, because why the hell not? Sack fly made it 8 to nothing. Yankees win 8-zip. And last but not least, today. A relentless blowout. That would complete the sweep of the Cubs by the Yankees to officially make the Yankees 44-16. and 16. Jameson Tyone started the game, and he didn't have the best of starts. He actually kind of labored a bit. Five innings, seven hits, and three runs, and five strikeouts, despite all the runs the Yankees gave him. But hey, he still made it through five and therefore got himself the W. Miguel Castro would come in after him and pitch a scoreless sixth, and then Manny Banuelos when the score was just out of control by now he would earn himself a save and you're like Mike how the hell did he get a save with that score I've already told you they scored 18 runs they would end up winning 18 to 4 well regardless of the score if you're a reliever and you pitch the final at least three innings of the game you get a save so Miguel Castro scoreless sixth and then Banuelos after that he pitched the final three innings of the game only allowing one run. He's done a fantastic job, again, after multiple years of not pitching at all. He's done very nicely. And, of course, that would be Yankee pitching on the day, but the offense, the offense. Right away off the bat, Ian Happ did put the Cubs up one to nothing with a solo shot off Tyone in the first inning, but the Yankee offense, holy crap, did they answer right back. <laughs> and in any given game, really, for the most part, except for nights they're very rare nights that you just can tell it's not really the Yankees night like on Wednesday with the twins but 
you're just really never down on confidence with the Yankees. Even when they're down in a game, no matter what it is, you're just not down on them. You're just like, they'll come back. They're resilient as hell this year. They'll come back. And not only did I feel like that after Hap's home run, I was like, all right, fine, whatever. It sucks, but they'll come back. But they didn't only come back. They body slammed them right away in the first inning, and it wouldn't stop. (laughs) Matt Carpenter, first off, who again, like I said, was not even in the original lineup and drove in seven runs. Well, this was the first. With the bases loaded, he would walk to tie the game at one. The Cubs starter, Keegan Thompson. Sounds like Keenan Thompson, but not. He really got himself into a lot of trouble with a boatload of walks and just allowed a hitting parade in the first inning. He wouldn't even make it out of the first. The Yankee offense just, they they slacked him. (laughs) Just like they slacked the Cubs overall all weekend long as a whole, but especially to Keegan Thompson. Good Lord. So that tied the game, the bases loaded walk by Carpenter. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa hit a two-run double after that to make it 3-1. to one. And Joey Gallo, again, two-run double himself, a rocket into right field to make it 5-1. to one. Bottom of the second, with Giancarlo Stanton and DJ LeMahieu on base. Matt Carpenter steps to the plate again and does something that he's done an awful lot since the Yankees acquired him for, again, virtually nothing as it seems like the rediscovery of his old swing that brought him so much success years ago continues on. A three-run bomb to right field makes it 8-1 to one Yankees. Bottom of the third. Finally, another one that I've been hard on because he... <laughs> you want to talk about struggling. He has struggled himself quite mightily. Kyle Higashioka. I've been hard on him too because, especially on social media, more so than on this show lately, but regardless of where it is, I've been hard on him. Because this guy, after Gary Sanchez was traded in the offseason, I believe I said this last week too on the show, but again, Gary Sanchez was traded. Yankees, of course, didn't even have Jose Trevino as a thought yet. They had just acquired Ben Rortvit from the Minnesota Twins thinking that he was going to be alongside Kyle Higashioka with the catching tandem. But then he got hurt, and he started to have long-term problems with his oblique. Then they had the setback with the knee, so they had to go elsewhere, and they got Trevino. But before all of that, when that trade went down, Kyle Higashioka had an open path to the starting catching job for the Yankees. And up until basically today... (laughs) To say that he has botched that open path is the kindest thing of all time. (laughs) Because not only has he made his defensive mistakes, and I know everybody on the team respects him, and he has a good presence in the clubhouse. I'm not debating any of that. I'm not in the clubhouse. I'm not going to debate that. But what we've seen with some mistakes that he's made, uncharacteristic mistakes behind the plate here and there even, but also especially the, the... unbelievably little amount he's done at the plate, especially after what he did in spring training when he was looking like Lou Gehrig. I mean, to say he's botched it is is the kindest comment that you could possibly imagine. He's been dreadful. And that's why Jose Trevino, for the most part of late, deservedly so, has gotten more playing time. But today... 
on a day when Trevino was scratched because they just want to be a little careful with his back, Higashioka finally, finally made some noise. Solo bomb in the left field, his first of the year. Hadn't even had a home run yet, let alone the fact that he had hardly even driven anybody in this year. I mean, I don't have to tell you this, but he has legitimately contributed almost nothing this year offensively. Well, he finally has, even though it was a per se garbage time home run. But still, nonetheless, it's better than continuing to do nothing. So a solo shot, his first home run in the year made it 9-1. to Then Giancarlo Stanton hit an absolute piss missile into right center field for an RBI double to make it 10-1. to And the Cubs started to try to get a couple of runs across off James and Tyone. Frank Schwindle would get an RBI ground out, driving home Hap to make it 10-2. Jason Hayward reached on an error by Anthony Rizzo to make it 10-3. But then in the bottom of the sixth, Matt Carpenter got those runs right back and was like, nah, I'm not even going to let you guys have that. (laughs) He hit another bomb to right center this time, a two-run shot. It's just unreal. It really is unbelievable. His sixth RBI on the day, six of seven, made it 12-3 to Yankees. Then P.J. Higgins got an RBI double for the Cubs. That would be their last run of the day. It would make it 12-4. to But the Yankee offense would score even more after that. <laughs> Bottom of the seventh, Anthony Rizzo, RBI single, made it 13-4. to Giancarlo Stanton, two-run single, made it 15-4. to Matt Carpenter, RBI double, getting his final RBI in the day, his seventh one. At this point, Matt Carpenter would have been beating the Cubs all by himself, driving in seven runs. It would have been 7-4 to four Matt Carpenter, <laughs> if you think about it. So he drove in Anthony Rizzo to make it 16-4. to four. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, RBI single, 17-4. to four. And then in the bottom of the eighth, the Cubs obviously had, you know, it was 17-4. to four. Who cares? They'd thrown in the towel on the game. They had Frank Schwindel, their first baseman, go out there to pitch. And... He threw a 35-mile-per-hour EFIS pitch, apparently an all-time low-mile-per-hour pitch for his EFIS pitch. And by the time its trajectory was done and it had reached Higashioka, the batter at the time, it was like up to Higashioka's mouth. But Higashioka still somehow turned it around and sent it in the left-field seats for his second home run of the year and the day. <laughs> so that made it 18-4. to And that was the vinyl. What a day. The only thing that could have made it better was seeing something that Yankee fans and this certain player himself has pushed so much for whenever a blowout would take place, whether it be the Yankees getting blown out or the Yankees blowing out somebody else, like in this case. And that's Anthony Rizzo pitching at some point. I would have liked to see him pitch the ninth, maybe, because, you know, the big thing about him pitching and getting Freddie Freeman out when he was pitching when he was still on the Cubs, it would have been nice. Apparently, he's been lobbying a lot for it, too. It would have been funny to see, but... Nonetheless, who cares? Yankees win 18-4. to <sighs> What a weekend. What a week. Unbelievable. Honestly, it's so crazy. All right, before we move on to the Q&A, what is ahead, you might ask, for the rest of the week? I'm actually going to do two weeks worth of coverage since we're not talking until the 26th since next Sunday I'm taking off for Father's Day. But, nonetheless, tomorrow is an off day. After tomorrow's off day, the Yankees will start a stretch of 20 straight games. And 
it'll be a stretch of 20 games that hopefully will lead to a lot of people being shut the hell up already. And those people to whom I am referring are the ones saying they haven't faced many good teams yet. The Yankees don't beat any teams over 500 or any of the top contenders yet. Well, you happy, you whiners? Because after tomorrow's off day, not only is there a stretch of 20 consecutive games, but a great many of them, the vast majority of them, are all against the best the American League has to offer. All of which, by the way, to support the argument I've had for weeks now that the Yankees have handled over 500 teams fairly well, all of which, other than the Astros, the Yanks have already faced and held up well against. Two of them being the Rays and especially the Blue Jays. But, you know, complainers will complain. So I just let him complain. Whatever. <laughs> so hopefully in this stretch of games, you could finally just officially shut them the hell up. Because I'm tired of listening to that stupid ass argument. The Yankees, although they only split the series in Tampa, they did fine there. And there are a lot of factors in those games that could have, if they just slightly went the other way, the Yankees could have easily taken or maybe even swept that series. And we've seen the Yankees face the Blue Jays plenty in the earlier part of the year. They've handled them just fine, both at Yankee Stadium and in Toronto. It's just annoying. (sighs) Anyways, so a stretch of 20 straight games starting on Tuesday... In the Bronx, they'll be opening up the first of a three-game set against the Tampa Bay Rays. It'll be Corey Kluber against Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole looking to bounce back after that start against the Twins that we just spoke about before. And by the way, Garrett Cole now owns the highest ERA in the rotation by far. And it's still just 363. And especially for Cole, you'd like that to be lower, obviously. (laughs) But the fact that that's still the highest, just a touch over mid-threes, it's still not bad. I'm sure he would like his lower as we all would like it to be as well. But 363, still the highest ERA in the rotation. The highest. He'll be facing off against Corey Kluber, who did not have a bad start against the Yankees at the Trop when they faced the Yankees at the Trop. In the first series, they saw each other a couple of weeks ago. But it'll be those two facing off Tuesday night, 7.05 p.m. in the Bronx. Also at 7.05 the next night on Wednesday, Nestor Cortez also hoping to bounce back from his start against the Twins against Shane McClanahan on Wednesday, 7.05. And Thursday, 7.05 again, Drew Rasmussen against Luis Severino, who again has driven his ERA down to 280 amidst his most recent good start. Another good start against the Cubbies. Those two will be facing off Thursday night, 7.05 p.m. Eastern. And then Friday, the Yankees hit the road. They will go back to Toronto again. 7.07 p.m. Eastern start. Yankees at Toronto. On Friday, that starts a three-game set over the weekend. Saturday, 3.07 p.m. start time. And on Father's Day, next Sunday the 19th, 1.37 p.m. start in Toronto. And I'll just quickly run through the next week after that, leading up to the 26th. The Yankees will then return to the Toilet Bowl, known as Tropicana Field in Tampa Bay. They will be returning there for the second time this year. They'll kick off a three-game set starting on Monday the 20th, 7.10 p.m. Eastern start. Tuesday, also 7.10 p.m. in Tampa, as well as Wednesday, also 7.10 p.m. And then Thursday, they return home to the Bronx to kick off a four-game set against 
the Houston Astros. Definitely the best the American League has to offer outside of the Yankees, of course, because the Yankees are the best that the sport has to offer, not just the American League. But Thursday night's game against them will be at 7.05 p.m. Eastern, as well as Friday's the 24th. Saturday the 25th will be at 1.05, and Sunday the 26th, when we speak again, will be at 1.35 p.m. Eastern. And with that being said, guys, let us move on to the final part of the show today, and that is the last minute posted this morning, my Twitter Q&A for today's episode. I think I'll read about 10 of them or so, because we are about an hour in here, so I don't want to... I don't want to read too many and go for like an hour and a half. So let's just breeze through some questions. Let's answer as many as I can. First up, we have at Great Hambino28. And they ask, we've heard a lot about potential outfield additions, but what about the bullpen? Who are a couple of realistic names we could see added to the pen before the deadline? Well, yeah, we've spoken plenty about potential outfield options in the past, but the bullpen, yeah. Listen, the Yankees have been a damn fine team all year long. I mean, like I said before, they're two games away from being 30 games over 500, barely into the middle of June, which is just downright incredible. But if there are a couple of aspects of the team that are holding them back from being literally absolutely perfect in my mind, it's maybe an outfield addition, which definitely names like Andrew Benintendi have been mentioned. Others have been talking about acquiring a Brian Reynolds from the Pirates, which I don't think is too likely, but I would love. I mean, me personally, I would love it if they got Ben Benintendi, put him in left field, keep Judge in center, because let's be honest, at this point, it's really looking like Judge is just the center fielder. He's played a terrific center field beyond a shadow of a doubt, and right field could be given to Giancarlo Stanton, maybe. I know he had that one bad night in Minnesota this past week, but it's one bad night amongst a crap ton of great nights. And I saw a lot of people flipping out about that bad night in right field for Giancarlo Stanton on Wednesday. And it was a really bad night. It was. I'm not denying that. But it was one night amongst so many nights that Stanton has looked so great in the outfield, despite having not played out there for years, thanks to the Yankees' reluctance to do so. But I would be perfectly content with that outfield, to be really honest with you. That would really solve my problems. And then in the bullpen... There are a couple of names that really stick out to me. Um, I really love Dylan Tate on the Orioles. Of course, he used to be in the Yankees system, but I I really like him. I think he's he's having a great year, that's for sure. His ERA is in the ones right now for this season. And he's still young, under team control. He's only 28 years old. And in 2021, he had a bit of trouble. His ERA was like in the mid-fours. But this year, he's doing a great job. And he, he's a great pitcher. He really is a great reliever. He, had ju- he just had trouble putting his stuff together at certain points, but he seems to have really found it now. I would love if the Yankees acquired him. Honestly, I wouldn't be totally opposed, and some people may not like this, but I mean, we just saw him this past weekend on the Cubbies. But I wouldn't necessarily be completely opposed to a David Robertson reunion. I really wouldn't. I mean, in 2021... He only pitched in 12 games, but he really didn't have an easy go at it. 2019, he had a rough year. But 18, 17, I know you're going back now, but he had pretty decent seasons then. Um, And if you want to look at the season he's having this year through 20 games, his ERA is only 159. So he's having himself a really nice season. He really is. So 
if he continues this trend all the way up to the trade deadline with how he's doing this year, it would seem that Robertson has rebounded a little bit, even though he's 37 years old, but I wouldn't be opposed to reacquiring him, having a bit of a reunion if he continues to be this good. So yeah, I, I just think maybe one bullpen arm could help do the trick a bit. And just acquiring an outfielder, I think the Yankees team would be as close to perfect as, as it can get if that happened because they've just been so damn good. And every other spot, I mean, they'll have their bad days like any other human being, but they're just such a damn good team right now. That's just being extra picky. If you want to get the team even better than it already is, then I would get those two spots. So a Benintendi and maybe a Dylan Tate out in the bullpen, I'd be feeling like a million bucks if I were the Yankees. So those are some names, I guess, for the bullpen. Oh, and really quick, speaking of the outfield, just to be fair, again, towards someone I've been very hard on in Aaron Hicks, but in the Minnesota series, do you guys remember that throw he made from left field? Like, holy crap, dude. That was the best throw Hicks has made in three years. <laughs> he nailed a runner at home, threw a sh- he shot a cannonball from left field. And I've mentioned it before. In my concern for his defense the last few years, valid concern. But I mentioned that a part of the reason why I've been so baffled at his even lack of defense the last few years, even though, yes, I know, we got Tommy John, and that was really when things took a bad turnaround. But before that, he was mainly known for his defense, especially his cannon of an arm. Which, since after Tommy John's surgery, his arm has been a wet noodle. But that throw he made from left field the other day, that was the best throw Aaron Hicks has made probably since 2019. (laughs) It's a beautiful throw. I have to give him that. I have to. Tip the cap on that. And I did that on Twitter, too. Hell of a throw. Just wanted to say that while we were on the subject of outfielders and Stanton struggling that one night in Minnesota as well. But I, I, I have to give my, my props to Aaron Hicks there. I'm really hard on the guy, but I'll, I'll be balanced and give my props, too. Next, we have at Yanks Bar saying, On a scale of Han Solo to Anakin Skywalker, how strong is the force with Aaron Judge? I'd say the Force is as strong with Aaron Judge as it is with the wills of the Force. And if you don't know what the wills of the Force are, they are basically the ones who dictate everything with the Force. So they're even stronger than Anakin. (laughs) That's how strong I'd say the Force is with Aaron Judge. (laughs) He's stronger than the Chosen One. For my fellow Star Wars fans out there, my friend Barry definitely is a fellow Star Wars fan. Thanks for the question, Bear. (laughs) Next, we have at RebirthChaos09, my friend James asks, Hey Mike, Yankees are doing great. My question is, what do you do when Chapman comes back and when Britton comes back as well? Well, when Chapman comes back, I continue to almost never pitch him. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just over Chapman. I really am. I just don't think he's a fraction of what he used to be. I really don't. The fastball just isn't what it was. The slider constantly hangs, and most nights he just completely forgets that his splitter even exists, even though almost nobody's been able to get much more than a foul ball off, and I'm not sure anybody even has. And he's just forgotten to throw it, or how to throw it, I don't know, he barely uses it. He, It's just, I don't trust him. I don't trust Chapman as far as I can throw the guy, and he's quite a big guy, so I don't trust him at all. But of course, when he comes back, somebody's going to be sent down when he does. Same thing with Luazaga, but I, it sounds to me like Chapman might come back sooner. But they're probably going to send like Marinaccio down or Manny Banuelos. When Britain comes back, if one of those two are up, they'll probably send one of those two who are still up back down as well because they'll definitely give Britain opportunities he hasn't pitched since, since last year, and last year was rough for him. 
and then he went down, had Tommy John surgery, and he's expected as early as maybe even August. They still have to see how his progression goes when he starts to throw again, but yeah, they'll just, they'll send a couple of people down and they'll use them. I would use Britain again. I would give him another chance. I mean, he's been out a while. Who knows? If he, if he could help, then he could be that uh, that extra addition for the bullpen again. Be part of the back end like he used to be. But for Chapman, I just don't trust him. So while I think that that's what would happen roster-wise, when it comes to actual usage, I just I would literally just continue to use Chapman almost never. I, I just I don't trust the guy anymore. Spencer at Musician DMD asks, in the major leagues, all players are not equally talented, but they're on an equal playing field. What do you think is the reason for Yankee fans who exasperatingly devalue their success, citing much of it has been against sub-500 teams? Uh, Well, this is part of the argument that I was just talking about before, how much I freaking hate it. Well, don't bring up... The fact that they're, I think, I think they're eleven and five against teams above five hundred. So, like I said, they're still doing very well against teams above five hundred. So they may not have had many games against those teams, but when they have, they still handle them very well. They're fine. <laughs> so, I mean, it's going to come time for them to prove it in this twenty-game stretch here of no days off. Many of which are against teams like the Rays, the Blue Jays, the Astros. Like I said, the best the American League has to offer outside of the Yankees. So, if this next stretch of games, if the Yankees do well and it still doesn't officially shut the complainers up, then just nothing will. So, what do I say to them? I just say to be quiet because they've already handled above 500 teams well. And I believe they will again coming up here in these next couple of weeks. But only time will tell. But if they do again this time around, then those people especially just have to be quiet. They have to. They have to be quiet. And I'm so sick and tired of the, oh, all they do is beat bad teams. And, you know, it's almost as if it's a bad thing that they're beating these teams. What are they supposed to do? Lose? I mean, I feel like a broken record with that rant every week. But really, what are they supposed to do? (laughs) You wanted to lose against those garbage teams? People are exhausting. At NYY Sports Fan 96, they ask their upcoming schedule three games against Tampa, three games against Toronto, three more against Tampa, and four against the Astros. How do you think they'll do in those 13 games? I think eight and five. I think that's a fair assessment. I think eight and five is a good guess. Nine and four would be very nice. Yeah, I'll say I'll say eight and five is a bare minimum. Seven and six, well, it's still it would still be over five hundred in that time. Wouldn't be great. You know, I'll say I'll say either nine and four or eight and five. I can't really decide. But I, I'd be fine with either of those. I mean it's whatever. If they won three out of four against Houston, that'd be very nice. If they win two out of three in each of those series against the Blue Jays and the Rays. Well the Rays have two, the Blue Jays one series, but if they were able to do that, I'd be fine with it. In that case, I believe that would put them at nine and four. So I'd be completely fine with that. You win all the series and you know, you do what you gotta do. That would definitely be ideal. At Vinny A L, Vinny underscore A underscore L, should say that. They ask, what happened to our pitching in Minnesota? A one off or sign of trouble? I think it was a one off. People are gonna have their struggles every once in a while, man. It's just gonna happen. Even guys like Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez struggled, despite how freaking amazing he's been. But you know what? 
the offense even had their back when those things happened. So that's good. That's just the name of the team this year. That's just what they do. So, yeah, I, I just think it was a one-off. I mean, they really seem to have bounced back for the most part in this Cubs series, and we'll see how they do against the even better teams coming up here. I think it was a one-off. But in any event, they're going to have their days, man. They're going to have their days. Everybody does, no matter who you are. At Laura underscore Navens asks, when and if Ben Rortvet comes back this season, who do you send down or designate, Trevino or Higashioka? I'm not sure either. Because while Higashioka has mightily struggled, he could be effective as a backup catcher. Trevino's obviously your main, and he's done a fantastic job with no signs of slowing down whatsoever. I'm not really sure I would do any. Or either. Because what, what's Ben Rortved done other than be hurt? What has he proven? He doesn't even have much major league catching experience, and the experience that he does have, he doesn't do much. He's a good defender, from what I hear, from what everybody hears, but doesn't do much at the plate. Higashioka may not have done much at the plate, but the Yankees sure know what they're going to get more out of Higashioka than they do out of Ben Rortved, who was just recently acquired and has significantly less major league experience in Higashioka. And Trevino's been what he's been. So, I'm not really sure you do either. Now, obviously, they had different expectations when the trade with Minnesota was made months ago. But since he was acquired and he was hurt and he's still hurt and a lot has happened with Trevino since then and Higashioka could very well just work as a backup catcher, which he has proven himself to be just a career backup, which is fine. It's what he is. And he could back up Trevino. It could work out. But the point is, since the trade was made, things have happened and it has since changed. So at this point, I just don't know if I would break up the Trevino and Higashioka tandem. I don't think that would be a good idea. So I don't think I send either of them down, to be honest with you. I'd keep Rortvet down there. That's just my opinion. At Andrew Caruso 77 asks, if you had to guess which Yankees are locks for the All-Star game next month in Los Angeles, which ones have the potential to make the push? Thanks as always, my friend. Well, thank you for submitting the question, Andrew, and thank you to the rest of you as well, by the way. Uh, I definitely think guys like Nestor Cortez, Aaron Judge, of course, maybe even Stanton, honestly, really... Much of anybody in the Yankees starting five, outside of Nestor, who I already mentioned. Um, look out in the bullpen, definitely someone like Clay Holmes should definitely be there. There's no doubt about that. Maybe even a Michael King. He's been extraordinary. In a lot of ways, outside of just the batting average stat, Anthony Rizzo's had a fine season. I mean, he's he's definitely struggled the last month, month and a half, no doubt about it, not denying that, despite how much I love him. But... I mean, he's still Anthony Rizzo, still has 15 home runs, he's driven in over 40 runs, and although he has quite a bit more hiccups at first base defensively, he has quite a bit more than we're used to, but he still makes his terrific plays over there, maybe a case could be made for that, but I don't know, those are really the main names that I think should be included, the ones that I mentioned before, there's, I don't know, like five to eight of them, which is still plenty. Probably not all of them are going to make it, but those are definitely worthy candidates to make it. As far as making the push, I think it's pretty definitive. I think I think Glaber Torres, if he isn't already selected, I think Glaber Torres could definitely make a push for it at the very least. Because he, he's doing well home run-wise. He's playing a very good second base defensively. So I definitely think he could make a push. Definitely. 
And I guess that's about it. Those first names I mentioned should be locks if the voting is done correctly because they've had terrific seasons. And I guess Glaber could make a push if he's not already a lock. Which he could be a lock. But he could definitely at least make a push. That's for sure. All right, let's do maybe two or three more. Let's see. All right, you know what? We're actually heading up to an hour 20. Jeez, God, time flies. <laughs> let's finish off the usual last two. First off being my girlfriend at Vic Salimo. And Vic asks, at this point in the season, based on how we're performing, what moves or changes would you make to keep us going on the winning path to 28? Well, I guess like I said before, the Yankees are already a terrific team, but if I had to be picky and try to make this team even more perfect than it already is, <laughs> which, yeah, a couple of flaws pop out every now and again, but which team doesn't that happen to? The answer is nobody. So I would definitely add an outfielder, definitely, as I said before, and as many others have said, preferably an Andrew Benintendi, and I'd probably add a Dylan Tate to the bullpen, just an extra arm, or maybe two, who knows, but that's really it. Add a bullpen piece and an outfielder. Maybe have it be Andrew Benintendi, Aaron Judge, and Giancarlo Stanton left to right in the outfield on the daily. And you could have a great bench consisting of guys like Matt Carpenter and Marwin Gonzalez who could play freaking everywhere. And this team would be virtually unstoppable then. I think they're already unstoppable as it is, but adding those names would be even more incredible. <laughs> it would just be ridiculous. I mean, just the fact that the guy who I just mentioned, Matt Carpenter, what he's doing after having virtually acquired him for nothing, and the fact that he's barely even played in any games because he's mainly been utility since some of the guys who were hurt at the time of his acquisition have since returned, and he still just comes off the bench and does what he does. Just Even if you do make those acquisitions that I mentioned to make the team even better than they already are, just still having someone like that just on your bench as a bench piece, it's just another... It's just another tip of the cap to how great the Yankees are. That's it's crazy. All right, last one. As usual, my mom, Julia Gina Scudero. And my mom asks, In today's game, I was hoping in the ninth inning to see Rizzo pitch since the Yankees had such a crazy lead. Why didn't they have more fun with that? The Cubs did. <laughs> That's a good question to finish off on. Nice and fun and lighthearted. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I had a couple of people say, oh, usually the team getting blown out is the one to do that, and that's why the Cubs did it. Well, I'm pretty sure the teams who are doing the blowing out have done it as well. I mean, because whether you're getting blown out or not, my logic says, even if you're going to use a lower-end reliever like the Yankees did with Benuelos in the last three innings of today's game, why even waste that? And Rizzo's been lobbying hard for it. You finally get an opportunity for it to happen when you have an 18-4 to lead. Why not just do it? Have fun. So yeah, I agree, Mom. I don't really get why they didn't do it, but it's not that big a deal. Event, obviously, they've won eighteen to four. That's the important thing. But yeah, I wish they did it. I really do. I wish they did. It would have been fun. But anyways, guys, almost an hour and twenty minutes in here. Oh my god, that is all for episode one forty three of Yapping Yankees today. I want to thank all of you for listening as always and submitting your questions for the Q and A. I love you guys so damn much, but you know that already. Remember to follow me on all my socials, guys. Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. Twitter, at Mike Scudero. And Instagram, MikeScuds97. Be sure to subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on. That's YouTube, Apple, 
Spotify, and SoundCloud. Leave a like below if you're listening on YouTube. Leave a review on any of the other three as usual to show your usual love, guys. And if you missed any of the past Yapping Yankees episodes of the 143 that are out officially after today, well, episodes 34 up to 143 today are available on YouTube, and every single Yapping Yankees episode, going all the way back to episode one three years ago, are available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Once again, thank you 3000, as always, my friends, for listening to me yap today. I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you in two Sundays from now on June 26th when I come at you with episode 144 of Yapping Yankees and we'll be even closer to the halfway point of the season by then and it'll just be crazy. (laughs) But until then, guys, hang in there. Be patient. Please stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. In the meantime, when I don't talk to you next Sunday, I do hope all the dads out there, all the good dads, have a happy Father's Day like they deserve. And of course, we all hope that the Yankees continue to lay the smack down on every team they come across, especially over the next two weeks, so they could hopefully continue to shut the people up who are saying that they don't beat any good teams. (laughs) But until the 26th, guys, enjoy Yankees baseball and enjoy your next two weeks. I'll talk to you then. Take care. (laughs) 